Welcome back to another episode of Stepping Into CI. With me are Miriam and Bob Patrick. And uh, we have decided and to... you are. Oh, and I am Rachel Ash. Thank I you. I am sorry. No, um, that's good. I am still jet lagged after Thanksgiving break. I spent the whole week in Arizona and kind of came <clears> back <throat> hitting the ground running as we often have to. Yep. Um, for a full week <clears> of teaching. <throat> and I hope to do some catching up this weekend. So... Um, I am uh, going to mostly hand this straight over to Bob, but our topic this week is multicultural classrooms. Yeah, so it's a, it's an exciting and live topic for us uh, here at Parkview High School in Metro Atlanta. Um, for those of you who have, but, so, you know, it occurred to me that if people are listening to us, if they don't know us, um, they haven't seen us before. Um, I want to start up front by saying we are three white people. Very much. And we are uh, all three teachers, obviously. And like the majority of teachers in the United States, we are white. Um, the last numbers that I've seen are that about 75% of teachers across the board in the United States are white, um, even and especially in school systems where the student body is not 75% white. Right. So um, that's an important thing to say up front in discussion about multicultural mm -hmm. classroom because it's the silent truth that white people are in power, however you want to think about power. Um, even if we're using power in the best ways possible, white people have a lot of power. Well, and that walks in the door with us. Well, and I think in Latin classrooms, they even tends to be a bigger majority. Yeah, yeah. No, I think if you look at the conferences that Latin teachers go to for Latin teachers, it's either 100% white or 99.99% white. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's just, um, um, that, that, is, that is the reality. Well, so, you know, here in our program, um, for people who don't know about our program, we have uh, currently um, around 700 students in our program, uh, in a school with just over 3,000 students. And uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, uh, but the rough numbers are that our student body is about 30% white, 29% African-American, that accounts for 60% of, of the school, about 17 to 20% Latino, That's so that's another almost, that accounts for about 80% of the school, and the remaining 20% of the school is subdivided by people from various parts of Asia, um, and India, and China, well, China obviously is in India, but when you say Asia, mm -hmm. that covers a huge, most of the world, right? Um, and we do have students, as the two of you well know, really from all over the world, Korean right. students and Chinese students in Vietnamese. I should say students of these origins, because many of them, if not most of them, have been born here. Right. Uh, whether their parents have been or not, these young people have been. So, you know. Well, from... And it, it should also be noted that the uh, designation African-American is a blanket term that is incorrect yeah. because yep. they can't. You know, and, and the other thing as well, like Asian Pacific Islander, they can't specify. 
and right. and they're not all it's not all the same culture it's not it's not all the same language it's not all it's it's ugh. but <laughs> and this is actually true in the state of georgia the georgia census does not allow people um from african countries to specify right and you know we have a, a particularly large ethiopian uh, right. uh community here and they are they don't you know a lot of them don't identify as african-american African -American. right. they identify as ethiopian or ethiopian american and there's no option for them to designate that yeah. right so all of these statistics that i've just been spouting have been have come from our demographics in a school system where those those choices are already delimited by somebody right. else um and so so anyway the point being that we're in the midst of a rather multicultural school setting. And 14 years ago, when I became the sole Latin teacher here, um, the Latin program was all white and Asian. Mm -hmm. and, and I say it that way. It was, it was, I, I don't have, I don't have statistics from that time period, but I'm going to say that it was about 80% white and the remaining 20% were students of Chinese and Korean background, maybe some Vietnamese as well, a few of Indian background, um, and and I can and I was here three years before the first African American student entered the Latin program. That's sad. It is very sad because the school at that point that was so that's what 12, 13 years ago, um, maybe didn't have twenty nine percent African American as we register right now, but it certainly had a significant population. They weren't taking Latin. The word had been successfully mm -hmm. communicated that Latin was harder than the other languages and that it was really for the best students, whatever that means. Right. And students begin at an awfully early age to identify with those kinds of labels. And, you know, the, the sad reality is that too many students of color are not made to feel early on that they belong to the best students. Even if you wanted to use that's that exactly term. what I was going to say. Like I was going to say, the best. You know, we can say whatever that means, but we all know what that means. I mean, and this is in that book that we're reading. We the are. best becomes synonymous with sitting quietly in a desk, um, taking diligent notes that are written a very specific way, yeah. which we're seeing more and more with with you know these things, and that you you know that you can that you do everything and then go home and do everything. Well, and that you have a very specific kind of home life and that you have money. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say, and your predecessor may have also had biases that had communicated themselves to letting previous, previous students know yeah. that maybe her concept of the best students also did not include yeah. students of color. And, you so, know, I, I, I am willing to say that, that those kind of biases, those kinds of, I call it gatekeeping, you know, yeah. who, who gets in the room was shared, is shared, is always shared by the entire surrounding culture. Yeah. I mean, there are lots and lots of people, including parents, you know, who will say, well, why should you take Latin? Why should you take foreign language? You know, it can be very systemic. Yeah, it really can. And so, um, I, I, but, but what I do know is that, and, and, and you all are a part of this is that over the last 14 years, we have worked really hard, almost singularly through the, um, the, the, the set of practices that we call comprehensible input to change this program into one that welcomes all kinds of learners. And we've seen that, and, and I think in that third year, when the first African-American uh, students entered the program, 
I was beginning to see the first little wave of that. And, and now we know, sitting here with 700 students in our program, because we did the study a couple of years ago, that the demographics of our Latin program will look like the demographics of the right. school. And that includes not just um, um, ethnic cultures, um, but that also includes our, our school puts students into, you know, uh, their, their educational uh, style. So regular students, um, gifted students, and special ed students. Those mm -hmm. are the three categories that every student is dropped into. Now, a student can have more than one category. A student mm -hmm. can be special ed and gifted. Mm -hmm. A student might be sir, might be in more than one of those categories, but, but typically students fall into one of those three categories. And the statistics for our school are also matched by, by who is showing up in the Latin classroom. Right. In fact... Um, the Latin program has a slightly more uh, special ed students than any of the other languages uh, that, that we teach at our school. And again, I think we credit that to what comprehensible input has meant. Um, and you know, I mean, this is the other thing that I think, and, and you all may have some perspectives on this that you want to share. I think that, that one of the things I want people to hear is not, oh, do comprehensible input, your program will grow and everything will be wonderful. Uh, what I want people to hear is we've chosen comprehensible input because it allows every kind of learner mm -hmm. from every kind of background who wants to make progress in a language do that. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have a virtual zero fail rate across the board. Um, that does not mean that what we do every day is easy. No. no. That does not mean that we have no difficulties or no challenges. In fact, we have more we have made more work and more challenges for ourselves <laughs> than we ever had in a legacy program. No, it's it's easier to let kids fail. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, it's less. You, work. you didn't cut the grade. You didn't do the homework. You didn't pass the test. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the number of times I've sat by a kid and been like, "Okay, now you're doing this problem. You're doing this work right now, and I'm going to sit by you and watch you do it." Well, and I just I don't. I don't know exactly how this, I don't know. Um, but uh, no, and, and I should I should mention that I might be a little tired today because I spent most of my night tending to a crying, upset, panicky dog. But um, what it, I think what I kind of want to piggyback off of what you were saying, what you're both saying, that we've made more work for ourselves mm -hmm. is true. And we've also, I just want to quickly ask, when was the last time either one of you took home grading home? Yeah, I don't take grading. Home. I do. Uh, every, I try not to. <laughs> every time we have a test, I do because I know that it causes anxiety for kids to wait for test grades. But are you doing so, that? So when was your last test? Um, right now I can't think. Yeah. But but we've had we've had assessments. Did you take anything over Thanksgiving break? Oh no. Yeah, I like that. Oh no. So we kind of trade work. Yeah. We true. trade. So I think that's my point is that comprehensible input. You know, yeah, there are times when we do a lot of work, especially front loading work. We do a lot of front end. But, yeah. but you know, and and it's and it is, uh, you know, speaking as an introvert, I go home exhausted. I go home mm -hmm. so tired, and um, but we also don't really take grading home unless we choose to, you know, to right. to, to alleviate or to do something else. We, you know, my kids read every week. We take time to read and we have that freedom mm -hmm. to do so. So we trade out what a lot of teachers 
with the work that a lot of teachers have for much more personal meaning one-on-one -on -one work uh -huh. with students. Uh -huh. And I think that's, you know, I mean, the con is that we go home exhausted. The pro is that our program looks like the school and is growing and student, most importantly, the students in our program are being successful. Yeah. I, so, I, just, I just wanted to get rid of the idea that means that we take vacation all the time and take. No, exactly. No, I think, like... I think that's my point. <laughs> I think that's my point too, is that we traded, that we've traded some of the stereotypical work for what in my opinion is harder mm -hmm. but more meaningful you right know, I've, I've been having some conversations uh the last couple of weeks with an editor and, and the three of us are going to be writing some articles for a journal uh that will be coming out next year we won't say anything more except to tease you with that but um i've been having some conversations with the editor of of that journal and um what fascinates me is is the continual sort of flow of Latin teachers who have heard about um, doing Latin differently, and that's the broad category that I'm going to paint this with. And so they go, they go rushing into it to find out, you know, what it is that people are doing differently, and oh, they're they're speaking Latin, and um, they're using Latin actively, and they're using Latin communicatively. Those are the buzzwords that I keep hearing. And what I find, and it, so on the one hand, I'm pleased that Latin teachers are are still rushing rushing to find out what's going on. In other words, there's this continual movement toward um, better work. Trying new things. Yeah, exactly. Trying new things, being willing to try new things, being willing to um, to do what needs to be done. And uh, and that's, that's a good thing. What I also observe, though, and this is what the editor and I were talking about, is that very often what they rush to first is output. Mm -hmm. They want oh, yeah. students to speak immediately, and they want students to speak a lot. They want students to write, and they want students to write accurately. And those, as we know, I mean, this is this is the great find of comprehensible input uh, research and practice, is that language is not acquired by demanding output. Language is acquired by everybody under the sun with any language through input. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why we say that most of our work is front loading yeah. what we do. We are working hard to create, uh, to gather texts, to create texts, to, to adapt texts, to create activities, communicative activities that are going to help them acquire the vocabulary that they need so that they can read these texts. I mean, we're doing all of that front loading work in the name of input, in the name of input. And I've said all that to say, here's an example of why I just don't take work home. Today's Friday. We're recording this on Friday. And all day today, in every level of my class, my students are doing a timed write about some things that we've been doing. And, and, and I've been preparing them for this day. This is the last timed write of the semester. And so I gave them uh, 20 minutes of class today just to prepare themselves to write, which is kind of more what you find in language arts classes, right? Some, mm -hmm. some pre-work, some outlining, some bulleting, some checking vocabulary and so forth, to kind of deciding how you're going to go. And then I gave them 25 minutes on the clock with their prepped notes to write about the prompt that I had given them. They had their 25 minutes to write. I, I gave them some tips about continuing to write for the full 25 minutes. And then when it was over, the timer went off. I stopped them. I said, count your words, put the number at the top of the page, turn in your notebooks. I'm not taking those home, those notebooks home. I'm not grading those notebooks. 
for grammar, grammar accuracy. On Monday, we're going to pass those notebooks back out, and students are going to analyze with some guided questions from me, which we all do, um, to look at their writing for the semester and decide, have I made progress in writing Latin or not? And whatever the answer is, what's the evidence? And they're going to do that analytical thinking, and then I'm going to look at their analysis. And I'll look at their analysis during my prep periods over the next couple of weeks. I'm not going to take those home. I'm not, I don't, at this point, I'm not expecting them to use the ablative case correctly. I'm not expecting them to get every verb tense correct. What I am expecting is for them to be able to write in a meaningful way about the things that we've been reading. Right. But my real focus all semester has been, can you read this thing that we've got in front of us and understand it? Right. When I ask you about it in English or in Latin, can you show me that you understand it? And the thing is, everybody in the room can in varying degrees. When they, um, when they analyze their own work, um, Johnny is not going to be measured against Malik. No. Johnny's going to be measured against how Johnny did mm -hmm. earlier in the semester. Malik's going to be measured against how Malik did earlier in the semester. So it's very individualized. It's differentiated. And the question is progress or no progress. Right. Well, I think that's what it has to be. And I think that that's very much part of what makes it something that can make our classrooms for everyone. Yes. You yes. have to let it, it be person to person mm -hmm. instead of competitive. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to move us forward a little bit. Sure. Um, what does it mean to foster a multicultural classroom? Mm. It means, in part, not correcting English. Yeah. Sorry, that's a pet peeve of mine. No, no, I, I agree. I um. Chumped. So why? Why? Why would you say that? Why would well, you go there? because I really, really. Language is not set. Language isn't set in stone. There's no such thing as a language that doesn't, even Latin, that hasn't, doesn't, will, won't change for whatever reason it is. I mean, just, I mean, just take very simply this, and this is, there's, I, I've seen people get in like, like arguments over this. The thing that you grab when you go into a, a store, a grocery store, you call that a shopping cart or a buggy? Shopping cart. What do you call it? I've called it both, but I probably grew up hearing it called a buggy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, down here, it's a buggy. Right. But in most other parts of the country, it's a shopping cart, right? And I've watched teachers and adults and mostly white people who will use that as a reason to criticize or give a student a bad grade. Okay. You know, like I, you know, this, I mean, and this is a big one, particularly down in the South, acts versus ask. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I, I watched a teacher, a student came in and said, I need to ask you something. And the teacher said, you mean ask? And the kid said, right, ask you something. And the teacher said, ask. And yeah. the teacher just kept interrupting the student to say the word ask. And I just kind of wanted to go, you know what that student meant. The student is trying to get your help. And yeah, teachers and say, and, and they're both legitimate forms of pronunciation. Well, exactly. <laughs> and and teachers get frustrated. Well, if you just come and ask for help, if you just do this, and and a lot of times I want to yeah. say they did, and you shut them and down. And you shut them down. So yeah. you know, I mean, not correcting English. 
Yeah, why does that matter? There's, exactly. There's no... Who cares? I mean, and really, what's, <laughs> and if I'm hearing it correctly, what's underneath that is creating a classroom that feels safe. Right. Oh, yeah. And, no, absolutely. And, and accepting. I mean, well, yeah, is, I, is the most important thing whether or not the student said it the way you've grown up saying it, or is the most important thing the fact that the student has come to you to try to get help for your class? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, um, that's more gatekeeping, isn't it? It is. Not no, really. It, I mean, so you're you in know. the room, but I really don't like you being in the room. I mean, right. you know, I've, it's, you, it's, and, and this, this kind here, of. You're here, but you're not like me. You're here, but you're not like me. Yep. I have actually, I've actually heard teachers say before some version of, I'd like to teach students who are just like me. And on the one hand, you think, oh my gosh, I didn't just hear you say that. On the other hand, that's, that's some real honesty right there. Now, it's some honesty that has to be worked with. Mm -hmm. If there's some part of me that's working with the, the notion that my life would be so much better if I could just teach students like me, I need to be aware of that. That needs to become an, un that unconscious mover in me needs to become a conscious thing in me so that I can go, wow, what does it mean for me as a white male to walk into a public school thinking that my life would be better if I could just teach students like me. Well, in right. this school, that means cutting out 70% of the population. Right. Yeah. Well, and on, I would say just on the flip, like the exact flip side of that is that while that, you know, there has to be that level of honesty on the teacher's part and then they, the teacher has to work through that right. to understand why that can't and shouldn't be the case. On the flip side of that, the teacher also has to understand that in order for students to feel like they belong in our rooms they need to be able to see themselves yep. in our rooms and in right. our content yep. and i just, just want to throw that out there yeah the romans weren't white europeans no <laughs> they i mean come on like let's get real the roman world was not full of old white dudes okay sure. <laughs> it sure. wasn't and i can't and i just can't stand that Furthermore, you know, Spanish teachers, you know, there is such a thing as, you know, Afro-Spanish. Yeah. And there are popular great. singers. There's a great, Like, there's a whole amazing, community. Yeah, some great. French teachers. There's this whole state <laughs> yeah. that has a huge Afro-French culture. Sure, sure. And, and, and we have to, and we have to foster yeah. that. And, you know, like, I mean, we all have our specified ways of like the way, like accents and everything and the way that we talk, but that doesn't mean that because, you know, I know that I have a typically more Italian and Spanish influenced accent when I speak Latin, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to not talk about Hannibal or Africa or Asia Minor and Turkey. And right. let's just, let's just put this out here. The Trojans weren't white. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, well, I think, um, I, think I saw Troy. Yeah, yeah, well, you know yeah. what? <laughs> but, but my point is, yeah, we no, have to represent no, the we people do. we talk about. And, and if you really want to go down the line of Aeneas is Trojan, then that means that the first Romans weren't white either. And, and we have to work with that. And we need to accurately represent the people that we're talking about. Otherwise, Latin becomes this unattainable unrelatable white person thing. Well, I mean, it, it, the, the reality is that um, matters that we today call race are social constructs. And mm -hmm. I, think, I think we all, hopefully we all get that. 
but for people who maybe have never thought about that before, you know, there in my own lifetime, we've moved from this this um, totally accepted notion that um, race was somehow a genetic thing, and now we know that there it's it's not at all. It's it's an it's a product of geography and environment, and if you live in an environment with lots and lots of sun and heat you're going to be of a darker shade of skin than somebody who doesn't. And, and there are lots of other factors involved. But it's just, so when you talk about Roman things, when you talk about classical Roman things, they didn't even have this notion of race. didn't exist. No, not it the was, way that we know it today. It, it, that's a modern construct. Yep. So to, to even say that the, the ancient Romans weren't white, the ancient Romans didn't even think in those no. terms. No, no, they didn't. No, they're co- like if you look at their old base paintings, they they painted men black and women white because that's how they saw. That's how they. There was some it. other social construct there going other, on there, yeah, right? Exactly. There was <laughs> well, like other social constructs. There's actually, like, there's, there's, you know, it, the idea of color, skin color, constructing things the way that 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 modern America constructs skin color was very different for the Romans. So, so my, I guess so like we should be representing. Well, it's and it's more, things. it's both. And because right, right. our student, we need our students to understand that the world didn't work that way, but we need to put it in terms that our students no, definitely. identify yeah, with and understand. The world is that way I also now. clarified that the, in the same breath that the Romans were absolutely racist in many ways. And that, if you weren't Roman, you were Proto trash. racist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. If you weren't Roman, you, you were, were inferior, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're not Roman, then you're, what are you? Well, and so. And, and... <laughs> There's an interesting paper, I think, that was written on this back in oh, 2016. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hear, like, this oh, person, was... Patrick something Patrick. Yeah, man. I, I hear it was on proto racism, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Well, right. You know, what I think for me, where this personally plugs back in, where I would love to see it plug in for Latin teachers, is that if the grand majority of us are white teachers, and we are, and our constructs walk in the room with us around things Roman, then we are going to, unless we challenge ourselves, we are going to unconsciously or consciously portray Romans as a white thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that, I mean, that's the, and that does harm. Right. That does no, really harm does. the well, students in I, the room. If we I don't, think- challenge it the easy thing that that many of us do and i have been guilty of this in the past and i try to move beyond this is but it's okay because they have white slaves yeah like i mean oh, yeah this no, is and like that... the very op- this is a very common especially white latin teacher way to deal with it and i like i said i've moved way beyond that by now i um but one of the ways that that white teachers white Latin teachers deal with that is to be like, but it's okay because they, their, their slaves are white. So the fact that they're, yeah. they're all, you know, racist white guys, is not that they're racist white guys. It's just that they, but at least here in the U S that justification is itself rooted in American racism. Oh, it yeah. totally it's, it's, is. I mean, oh, yeah. that's our construct like it, coming that's to the how, fore. It makes us feel better about yeah. it. Um, well, um, and it's, but, I mean, but the whole, and the whole thing, the whole thing, especially because of the fact that we're in the United States is, is it? I mean, it is. It's a delicate. It's well, delicate. It's not the really, right word. It's, it's a violent thing to talk no, about. It was, oh, it's terrifying to talk about. I mean, just straight up and, and being the white teacher talking about Roman racism and then and then trying to trying to be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Well, also then, not trigger then, the right, very complex emotions then, in the room. And then also talking about Roman slavery. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then having to deal with that that yeah. aspect yeah, and then trying not to well, upset so, people. But but I am I've just learned to just be straight up honest. I say I think I think I think it's a shame. Two Look, things. I love the Romans in many ways, but they have flaws and one of them is slavery. Yeah. Yeah. Two two flaw. things come to, to my two examples. There we go. Two two real world examples come to mind <laughs> when I think of this. The first one is, you know, two years ago when we did Hannibal and I and let me tell you, it was difficult. But I finally, finally found portrayals of him as an African man. And if you want to get into the argument about whether or not he was African or Middle Eastern, we can. And I have, you know, evidence. But I anyway, don't argue. You, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> but to find that imagery was quite difficult. And I remember after the first time we saw his picture, one of my students came up to me and said, after class, and said, Ms. Patrick, I had no idea that he was black. And I said, I said, what? And, and, and the student said, yeah, I mean, We've studied this guy before, but no one ever told me that he wasn't white. So the assumption was that this person was. And and the student expressed to me how thankful and excited she was that, that we were doing yeah. this this way. The second example is to the slavery issue. I've made the conscious decision this year when ta- conscious decision this year when we're talking about the Trojan War to not talk about Aeneas. We're talking about the women who were left behind who were taken into slavery. Mm. And and we're reading from Euripides' Trojan Women, mm-hmm. which is a very dark and very violent play. Yes. And and we're having some pretty real discussions about what this all means. And I'm not trying, I mean, I'm not it, as uncomfortable as it is for me to say some of these words in front of students. We need to be real about it. Well, and they need to understand kids. the Cur- history and culture. Curriculum side note, when you say you're reading uh, Euripides, you mean that you're creating some Latin stories based on... Yes, I am taking some older translations, which mm-hmm. are a little more older English, mm-hmm. and putting them into Latin for my students because yeah. uh, I'm not a Greek teacher. Right. This is not <laughs> right. a Greek class, but yeah, that's, so that's, that's, that's the point. That, that yeah. being said, though, I will say I put all of the, the names um, in Greek at some point so the kids can see that, but that's just you know bringing yeah. in the original culture to that as well. You know, we... I think on a very practical level, one of the things that uh, teachers can do, and and again, white teacher here talking largely about white teachers, is that when when the issue of race or culture or difference or other comes up in the classroom, um, I don't know, I I suspect that others may be like me in that my first knee-jerk reaction is to kind of stop it, quiet it down, redirect, keep us on task shut it down is what that really means because those topics make us uncomfortable. And what I'm learning over the years is that when I can allow, if if a student has been bold enough to raise an issue of race or culture or religion or otherness in any way, has been bold enough to bring that into my classroom, um, I can almost always afford the time to say, oh, that's fascinating. Say more about that. Mm -hmm. Now, I've immediately abandoned my lesson plan, right? I'm, I'm allowing that this is, is becoming the lesson plan, um, whether it's five minutes or whether it's the rest of the class period. I can even then come back the next day or two days later and say, you know, when we had that moment of conversation that that uh, Marianne started for us, mm-hmm. um, here's here's how it enters back into whatever it is we happen to be reading 
uh, or discussing in, in Latin. Mm -hmm. But what you've done is to validate that what the student brought into the class is important enough for it to become a part of our curriculum. You've let them see themselves in the class. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that when I have talked to former, mostly former students of Latin who are also persons of color, and I've asked them about their experience in Latin, the response has almost always been, oh, it was fine, you know, it got my requirement out of the way, and then I always kind of follow it. And they always, there's always this, you know, sense of, oh, but I didn't really feel like I, you know, was part of the class, uh -huh. or I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, and then once they express that, I, I ask the question, did you ever see anyone like you? And they mean, and they go, you mean like in the class? I'm like, in the class, in the teacher, in the curriculum. And the answer is usually no. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, as white people, we rarely, if ever, get to experience the feeling of being the only one who looks like us whether mm -hmm. it's in a room full of people, mm -hmm. in media, entertainment, whatever it is, right. we almost never have to feel that feeling of, I am the only one here. Yeah. You yeah. know? You know, I, I, I tell this anecdote, and then we probably have to bring things to a close here. Uh, this, this has nothing to do with my classroom, but actually what happened uh, in my life as a parent. Years ago, um, when our children were little, um, our two youngest were going to elementary school in downtown Birmingham, Alabama, where we lived. And um, it was a wonderful experimental public school that had been in experiment for 25 years, meaning it was very successful. And um, our daughter came home one day, our daughter's blonde-headed, blue-eyed, very white, and uh, she is as has always been a bubbly sort of person. And she came in that day, she wasn't bubbly, she was quiet, she was kind of withdrawn. I checked to see if she had a fever. She didn't have a fever. I inquired with her several times about if she was not feeling well. No, I'm feeling fine. And finally, I just said to her, I said, sweetheart, you you are so quiet and withdrawn. I'm worried that something's bothering you. Has somebody at school been mean to you? And she said, no. Um, and, and the fact is, she frequently brought a friend home from school almost every day. So we knew she had friends. Um, and I said, well, then what's bothering you? Why are you so quiet? And she said, she did this big sigh, this big sigh. And she said, I don't know. I just wish there was somebody in my class that looked like me. And that was the first time that it actually registered with me. She was the only white child in the room. Now, you know, I've, I spent a lot of time then with my wife and since then reflecting on that. So my white kid, got to experience that year in her life what most kids of color experience every day all the time that was i mean my, every day my elementary school there was one white kid in each grade so you had that experience Name not white kids sorry one black kid one black every, okay so you had the yeah, so, so so that one student was having that exactly. experience yeah which was a very normal experience in in uh in middle america yeah. right yeah yeah. Like that's that's yeah. very normal in that area. No, the, I mean the and elementary. And that's the thing is, I've, I, that's what that made me reflect on. Is sure. that like, sure. and I've thought about that multiple times since I became, you know, aware, yeah. more self-aware of, of of what things are like culturally mm. in America. Because at the time, I didn't really think about how how lonely or how scary that must have been at times. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've understood a lot more sure. about it. Well, and, and the thing with our daughter that drove this home for me so deeply is that 
she is, she is, was, is a social butterfly. And I mean that in the hmm. best sense. Right. She, she knows how to make connections. She had lots of friends. Heck, she was best friends with the mayor's daughter. And, and, and frequently the mayor's limousine would pick them up after school and take them for ice cream. Why don't I remember and, this? <laughs> but my, my point being, she was, not, <laughs> she was not isolated. She was not friendless. She was just, she had friends, but it, but it still meant something mm -hmm. to not see yourself in the room. Right. Yep. And it's like, okay, so that's what it took for a white guy to sort of get that a glimpse at what right. is everyday reality for too many kids. So, you know, I mean, this is what I want to leave on this topic for myself. Um, if you're a white teacher uh, in a language classroom, the more work you do on yourself mm -hmm. and what it means to be white mm -hmm. in this educational setting is will pay dividends every single day for the rest of your career. And in your curriculum. The Absolutely. more you can do to bring in representation of yep. other cultures and other races other than the, like, European, obvious. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and I just, I guess, to piggyback off that before I give my final thought, uh, I guess this is a call to all Latin teachers and also to those Latin authors. <laughs> you know, our mythology exists everywhere. There are similar stories everywhere. So... You know, why can't, if the, if the Romans and Greeks had no problems combining Isis with somebody else, or, you know, Mithras being, you know, from somewhere other than Rome or Greece, then why can't our representations be? Mm -hmm. You know, like, why, why can't you portray any single person as any culture, as any background? Because it's really... If you do, just do it once. I mean, do it once, and you'll see the kids in the room who identify with that light up, mm -hmm. and then you'll want to do it again. You know, um, you know. My my final thought is is this: um, being in being in an, an interracial relationship, I hear a lot of stories about that feeling of being the only person in the room who looks like he does. And if I could go back in time and talk to his teachers and his friends and his whatever and say to them what I know now to make his experience different, I would. But I can't do that. What I can do, however, is work every day to make sure that my students don't feel the way that he feels. Yep. And that's, I mean, I guess that's my, my action item. My action item is that, you know, for us all to do that. And it's an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. Yeah, and here's a real early shout out. ACL. American Classical League Institute is going to be in New York City this summer for the 100th anniversary. I thought Yay. you were going to say for right? the 100th time, the and I was like, actually, you're wrong. And <laughs> I understand from some conversations that there might be some folks proposing workshops and sessions on multicultural classroom and social justice issues in the Latin classroom. So Yay. keep your heads... I, you know, I don't get to decide what's included, but I'm just saying I know some people who may be proposing those kinds bird of told ideas. You. Little bird told me. Yeah. So okay, I have one more thing to say, and then we're going to close out. Um, By the way, shout out to Jen Jarnigan. <laughs> if you heard what we just said about it being an everyday thing, and your thought was, "Well, I don't have time to do that," I'm telling you right now that your students of color, your special education students, your students who are not the predominant religion of the area, your, your students who are not, who are not yeah. affluent, 
you're non-cis, you're not. Yeah, you're not non-cis, non, all those, all those quote unquote, you know, those status quos. Yeah. They don't get a choice about it being an everyday thing for them. So it's our job as adults, as teachers, as the person who's supposed to be the safe contact in the room Mm -hmm. to make it an everyday issue for ourselves. That's that there. There it is. There's That's my it. final thought. That's it. If you join us next time, we're going to talk about all the exciting upcoming and current projects from stepping into CI. I, I know that I have some that I'm excited to talk about. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think we're, I think as the new year comes, we're going to come to a really exciting place. So um, I hope you guys will join us next time. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.